Good morning. Please uh, take a seat. We're going to read together from the Bible. Um, We're going to read God's Word. And there's two passages today we're going to read. We're going to read from uh, a book called Luke and uh, a book called uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, So we're starting with the Luke passage, uh, starting with Luke 16, 1 to 15. So if you've got your Bible with you, please open and read with me. Otherwise, the words will appear on the screen uh, behind me. And I think I need to go and see my optometrist again because I think age is starting to kick in and my contact lenses aren't doing quite the same job they used to. Let's see if I get all the words right. Uh, Starting with Luke uh, chapter 16 and verses 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Well, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master?' 900 gallons of olive oil,' he replied. "'The manager told him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly, "'and make it 450. "'Then he asked the second, "'And how much do you owe?' "'A thousand bushels of wheat,' he replied. "'He told him, "'Take your bill and make it 800. "'The master then commended the dishonest manager "'because he had acted shrewdly.' For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And uh, turning over now to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Oops, I'm not sure if I'm... Yes, I'm good. You can hear me. Excellent. Uh, Welcome to St Jude's at Parkford night. My name is John Forsyth, a vicar or senior minister, and a particularly warm welcome if this is your first time, if you're new or visiting. And I did actually see the optometrist recently, Melissa, and I have new glasses as a result, so I'm getting the same problem you have. (laughs) That doesn't seem to make it any clearer. (laughs) So we need to see the same optometrist. Uh, I've been involved in Christian ministry for well over 10 years, uh, and people often speak to me and make an appointment with me to speak through challenges that they're facing in their lives. Different spiritual challenges. It could be around how their marriage is going, uh, struggles with their children. It could be issues with work. It could be challenges around praying. Uh, It could be how to share the gospel with people. It could be a deep and besetting sin that someone is just wrestling with and wants prayer and advice. And at times these have been very serious and understandably important conversations. But what's amazing is I cannot recall a single time in the last 12 to 15 years where someone has said to me, look, John, I need to make a time to speak with you about my struggle to be generous. I'm just wrestling with this whole idea of generosity. And I think that's partly because culturally... Uh, our money is one of the few things that remains extremely private. You can ask somebody what they do for a living, that's fine. You can ask them what they watch on television. But it's really awkward if someone asks you, oh, that, how much do you earn uh, as a dentist, as a doctor? The room goes strangely quiet. And what about if I was to ask you about how generous you are with your money? To say, well... How much do you give each week? Dollars and cents. Tell me exactly. It's an awkward conversation, right? And I can see your faces trying to avoid eye contact with me at that point. Uh, But I think it's worth pausing and thinking, why, why do we find it so awkward? Why do we find it so awkward? Because when we look at what the Bible says about generosity it actually has a very different picture. It is actually not meant to be something that is awkward, something that we kind of hide away. Now, there's a sense of, yes, scriptures say we shouldn't kind of announce from the corner how generous we are, but there's no shame in generosity. In fact, from our second reading in 2 Corinthians, Paul says there, each of us should give what we have decided to give in our heart, not reluctantly, 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? A cheerful giver. Not an anxious giver or a guilty giver. A cheerful giver. And it's a hard thing to think, how, how, do, I, how do I become more cheerful in my generosity? How do we move from guilt and awkwardness, which is, I think, we're, if you're like me, that seems to be the starting point for many of us, to intentional cheerfulness? And I think when we look at generosity in action, that is giving with our hands, what we see is Scripture reminds us that it involves plugging in our brains, there's intentionality, our heads, and it means having our hearts shaped by the gospel, by grace. So to be generous with our hands means using our heads and our hearts. And when we're not using our head or our heart, or perhaps when we're using only one of those things, we're failing, I think, to really be generous. So to be generous with your hands, we have to involve our heads and our hearts. And you'll see that actually in that 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 9 uh, verse where it says, each of you should give what you've decided, that's the kind of intentionality thinking, and then it says, in your heart. That's the heart bit. There's an intentionality uh, and with your heart. And what's really interesting is in that Luke 15 passage, we actually have a really bizarre parable on one level, but Jesus uses that parable to teach those two things to those who are listening. He's speaking to the disciples. And so the first part we see through this parable, particularly in the first nine verses, is Jesus is very, very clear there needs to be an intentionality, dare I say shrewdness, bordering on sneakiness about your generosity. Look at this very bizarre parable with me. Now he tells the disciples this story. He says, look, there was a rich man. And this rich man had a manager, and this manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, that little word, wasting, is the same word used in the prodigal son before he has his moment of you know, coming back. The word prodigal, by the way, means wasteful. It's not after he comes back, it's before he comes back. This man is prodigally wasteful. He's embezzling. There's something very dodgy about this manager. And so he calls him in. He's doing the thing that a good boss would do. What is this I hear about you, he says? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. That sounds fair, right? The guy's dodgy as. It's time for him to move on. And what this man does, who's been fired, is he hatches a very cunning plan. The manager says to himself there in verse 3, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. No, not kind of like I got caught being naughty. No, the, the, the master's taking away my job. Uh, I love this. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job, uh, so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into the houses. So he, he patches a plan so that when he's fired, other people will say, yes, come in, work, be part of my household. That's his goal. So what does he do? Well, in verse 5, what he first thing does, he calls in one of his master's debtors, someone who owes his current, but not for very much longer, master, a fair bit of money. And he says, look, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6, he says, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now, of course, 
uh, we, most of us in this year uh, from North America would know what a gallon is. Uh, a gallon, that would equivalent to about 3,400 litres of oil. So that's a, that's a lot of oil. Uh, that's amount that you would press out of about 150 olive trees. And it's worth about two or three years' salary. So we're not talking small bickies. We're talking around $100,000 to $150,000 minimum that this man owes. It's a, it's a significant amount. But look at this manager's response in, uh, as he goes on. He says, look, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450 I will halve your debt. I will save you $75,000. Just sign here. Now, anyone in business think this is a bad thing or a good thing? You think, this is great. An entire debt cut in half. And so he quickly signs. And this very shrewd, sneaky guy, he then finds a second debtor and he says, look, how much do you owe? And he says, a thousand bushels of wheat. Now, what's a bushel of wheat? I had to go Google this because I, I had no idea what a bushel was. Apparently, it's two kennings or four pecks. <laughs> I then had to Google what a kenning and a peck was. Uh, it comes out to about uh, five to ten years' salary of the average worker. So we're talking even more, up to about half a million dollars worth of wheat. It's a lot of wheat. It's a lot of wheat. And again, he says, look, make it 800. I will save you possibly $100,000. Once again, who's going to say no? And at this point, his master finds out. Now, this is where, if we were to pause this story and you weren't to know the ending, what would you expect would happen at this point? The master's already found out that his manager is dodgy as. His master has, sorry, the, the, the manager has continued being even more dodgy and cost at least, at least $175,000 to be taken from his own coffers. The master would call in the lawyers or the thugs, right? They're, they're the two options that's open. In other words, there's nothing commendable about what this manager has done. It's completely illegal. It's illegitimate. And then in verse 8, we have the most bizarre sentence in... One of the most bizarre things that Jesus says in a parable, he says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And this is where Jesus, I think, gets it a bit wrong. Think about it, right? This guy is as dodgy as all get out. He hatches this cunning plan. He cuts out the debts. He's, kicked, he's, he's being kicked out, but now he knows there's at least two people he can now go to and say, look, I need a job. I need a place to stay. Remember, I saved you. 75 big ones, $100,000. But his plan, although it's dodgy, it is extremely intelligent. And notice that is what the master commends him for. He catches wind of this plan and goes, that, look, it is brilliant. It's audacious, but it's pure genius. See, he's not commending the manager for his lost business. He's not saying what you did was morally right. He's commending the sheer audacity and shrewdness of the plan. Even though he loses out, he can recognise 
there is something very, very intelligent about the way this manager went through this. He's commending him for his shrewdness. The manager knew the future. It wasn't good. And what did he do? He worked hard to plan for that future for a better outcome. He was shrewd. He knew the future, and so he planned in light of it. And we understand this because as Jesus goes on to explain the parable in the next verses, this point becomes very clear. He says, for the people of this world, that is those who don't follow the Lord Jesus, are more shrewd, he says, in dealing with their own kind than are people of light. That is, those who do follow the Lord Jesus, Christians. This dishonest steward, this dishonest manager who is a son of this age, is given to us as an example of shrewdness, of intentionality. Because like him, we actually know the future. We know there actually will be a day when Jesus will return and judge the earth. But unlike him, often Christians are not shrewd and intentional with their planning, what to do with their money, in light of this huge life-changing event. And so Jesus is saying, look, you need to have clear heads. Your heads need to be engaged. You need to be intentional. There I say you need to be shrewd. We know the future, but I think very few of us have given much thought, let alone develop a cunning plan, how to use the gifts we've got in the service of Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's quite a difficult verse to understand, isn't it? Uh, How do you create heavenly friends with earthly money? Notice, by the way, it does say make friends, not buy off friends. (laughs) It's a very important distinction. But it's to do with money, isn't it? Uh, I think what, what Jesus is teaching us here is we need to have a generous spirit that people are drawn to and say, I, I wonder, there's something about this person that their generosity seems otherworldly. It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective to be this generous. What is it about this person that means they're so willing to be generous? And it gives you a chance to speak of the hope that you have in Christ. In other words, the way that we are generous with our money speaks to that reality that we know Christ is in charge and that Christ will return. And so it makes friends. It draws people into conversations about why you're generous and you can point to the generosity of Christ. Let me give you a very practical example. I heard of this where a mission team was going to Germany and some of the mission team did not have a huge amount of finances and so someone decided that they would very happily fund a large proportion, very generously and cheerfully, of that mission team. And over in Germany, as this mission team went over and shared the gospel, people became Christians. And they said, can you tell the person who gave the money about this verse, because it's about this verse coming coming life. Like, you gave money, and it's, it's won people to Christ. Not paying them off, 
but investing in God's kingdom and seeing the wonderful gospel being sent out. Their money actually resulted in people coming to know Christ. And so the Lord Jesus has encouraged us to be intentionally generous with your money, but also with your home and with your stuff that we've learnt about. Although you could probably keep your head, I think, good thing to keep, <laughs> as much as it's good to be generous. That was, that was quite amusing. I thought that was wonderful. Generous with your stuff, as our kids so wonderfully shared with us. Generous with your time. Generous with your knowledge. Generous with your wisdom. But intentionally, that is the goal of, of what we're to do. Uh, earlier on in, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 12, Jesus says these very, very poignant words. He says, look, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why we need a cunning plan to have a clear head when it comes to our generosity. Jesus has secured our future for us. So let's invest in it now with the wonderful gifts that we've been given. And so I wonder how intentional you are. Let me give you just an example of what we do in our household. We've worked out our weekly income, or monthly income actually, it's probably easier for our, in our family, and we've worked out my wife works part-time and I work for the church. Before any other expense, we work out what is 10% of that. And we say that is the minimum, the minimum that we will give away. And then after that, there are other places for us to be generous as well. But it's intentional. It's not like, okay, we've got everything else out the way. Oh, I wonder what we should give to church this year. No, it's the first thing we work on. We're intentional. And I think it's not particularly difficult. I'm not, I did a two arts degrees. I know nothing about numbers. But I can work out 10% of an income. You can work. I'm sure you are far more intelligent than me. It's about being intentional. Saying, pausing and stopping and working out, this is what I earn, what will I give? And setting it up, not just saying we'll do that next month or in two months' time or when I get my pay rise or when I start work. Now, the shrewd manager acts straight away. We need to have clear heads to be intentional with our generosity. Uh, secondly, Jesus reminds us that in order to be generous with our money, our hearts must be faithful and honest and shaped by the gospel. He says in verse 10, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, this is absolutely true, isn't it? Someone who is not generous earning $40,000 a year is unlikely to be generous earning $400,000 a year. And if someone who is by nature very stingy, it won't matter what position they have, what job they have, what income they have, they have a heart that is stingy. What you do with very little will, do, will be the same as what you do with very much because ultimately it's an issue of your heart. Not an issue of how big your bank account is. 
And Jesus is clear in verse 11, look, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you love one, sorry, either you hate one and love the other, or you be devo- uh, devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Never was there a truer verse for this age. See, friends, Jesus is astonishingly crystal clear. If you want to be generous, it's not enough to be intelligent and shrewd with your money. It's not enough to be smart and planned. It's all actually about the spiritual state of your heart. That's the most important thing to get right. The spiritual state of your heart. Your heart in the Bible, by the way, is not just your feelings. That's that's the Valentine's Day heart, right? I love you with all my heart. It's about emotion. In the Bible, that's your your guts, your bowels. (laughs) I love you with all my intestines. Not as romantic, but uh, more biblical. Your heart is actually your whole self, who you truly are. And to serve God with your whole heart is not just to feel nice about God, though that is a wonderful thing to have. It's actually to say, how does my whole life serve God? Every aspect of my life serve God. And the call is to serve God fully, not partly. And therefore, how you use your money is intrinsically linked to your heart. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind means to be intentional about how you love and serve with your money. Because, friends, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and your success. You cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God and your bank account. You cannot serve God and your superannuation. You cannot serve God and your popularity. You cannot serve God and your studies. If it's not one, it's the other. It doesn't say, look, you, cannot, you can serve both God and money a little bit. Is not what Jesus said. You cannot serve mostly God and a little bit of money. That's not what Jesus said. If it's not one, then it's the other. Because the human heart has space for one God only. Either the true God or the false God of greed. And so I think it's good that we stop and ask ourselves, what is driving me? to make my decisions? What shapes the way I handle my money, my time, my house? And Jesus says, look, it's actually not about you. Ultimately, you are actually not your bank account. I think part of the reason, we'll get to this in a moment, we are so kind of private about money is we invested ourselves into our money. And we are not our possessions, we are not our achievements, we are not our successes. We are children of the true and living God. And I think one of the reasons we often feel so uncomfortable and awkward about speaking about money is uh, we've actually let it become the master. We are serving it. 
And it's very easy to think this way because that's the way our culture breathes. It lives and breathes that. Our culture and society tells you that you need money to be anyone and anything. And it's about using that earthly money for earthly goals. That's, that's the water we swim in. And it's very easy to diagnose if we are serving something. You are serving something if you are willing to sacrifice for it. And you are not serving something if you are not willing to sacrifice for it. Friends, generosity is sacrificial. It costs. And so if you want a generous heart, if you want your heart softened, because that's the only way it's going to work, then you need to be reminded of the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is sacrifice. The heart of the gospel is generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty we might become rich. See, friends, that, that is the most amazing foundational truth that should shape our hearts to be generous. The Lord Jesus Christ gave up his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. Money and success will never give us the significance or security that we crave, that our world says you need. Our money and our success can't protect us from tragedy. They can't give us control in a chaotic world. Just look at the last 12 months. All those rich countries doing so brilliantly in COVID. See, friends, we can only be generous when we, when we are reminded that the Lord Jesus is our only significance and our only security which means we don't have to worry about money. We don't have to serve money. Because on the cross we see just how much our Lord and Saviour cares for us and gives us more certainty than, than anything else could, which means we don't have to envy somebody else's money or success or experience. And Jesus' love and salvation confers upon each and every one of us this remarkable status that no amount of money can buy you. No amount of success can earn for you. A beloved child of God. See, friends, greed cannot be expelled from your heart. It must be replaced, and it can only be replaced by grace. Grace transforms greed to generosity. So if you feel that you're not cheerful in your giving, if it's a hard issue, not a head issue, you've worked out the numbers, but you think, oh, this is, this is too hard, I don't feel right, go back to grace. It's only when our faith and life are left in the Lord Jesus' hands that we can have this heart transformation 
with the God who gives us the most valuable thing of all, the life of his own son, that we may have eternal life. See, friends, when we truly experience the wonderful grace of God, with clear heads and full hearts, generosity is no longer an awkward conversation. It's a joyful sacrifice. A joyful sacrifice. So do you have a clear head? Do you need to spend some time with your brain plugged in being intentional about generosity? Do you need to spend some time reflecting on God's astonishing generosity that frees you from anxiety about money and transforms your heart to being generous? Because, friends, our God is so astonishingly generous to us. Let me pray. Father, help us not to store up for ourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But help us to store up for ourselves the wonderful treasures in heaven, won for us by the Lord Jesus, where moth do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Let our hearts be filled not with greed, but transformed by your grace to be filled with generosity as you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.